0: Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. But I'm convinced that there are two kinds of people in this world. The first person is someone who's prepared to go to the movie theater. The second person is who's not prepared at all to go to movie theater. See, my wife and I, Lauren, we're going to be married seven years in May, okay, and half of our... Battles, arguments, war stories came about the movie theater, okay? So you're going to tell who this first person is, an example, okay? Babe, we got to go on Fandango. We got to get seats early. If we don't get in line, we're going to be late. If we don't buy the tickets, and not, not going to be any tickets. Hey, like, have you thought about dinner? We can't just come in with food. We got to figure this out, right? The other person said, no, don't worry about it. Let's kind of roll in, see what happens. You know how many times we went to the movie theater and it was sold out? I was like, hey, we could have prevented this. I found out later on that she doesn't like movies. So it's kind of her strategy to like I us change the day. That's shady, huh? Man, that's horrible. But you ever realize when you actually get to the movie theater and get into the movie, you ever been sitting next to a cruncher? You know that cruncher, right? It's like they're not just crunching, but they find a crunch at just the right moments. Where that, 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 that very specific, powerful, moving, where that tear's about to come out, and then as soon as it's co- going to come out, crunch. Then your water, your eyes just kind of, you know, dry up in a second because it just was ruined. You got the crunchers. But then you have the people in the movie where they <laughs> like to talk and talk and talk. And they don't just talk, but they tell you what's going to happen. And it's like, that's great that you know so many things about so many people, but can I watch this movie, please? And the worst part of it is, is when they're actually right. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where it's like they actually call the movie and now the whole time you're thinking, gosh, this person's right. They ruined my $20 I spent on this movie. This is horrible. And I think one of the hardest parts about that is that when you're watching a movie and you actually see something that the movie character doesn't see themselves. I'll give you an example. You guys know about, who knows about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Come on. I don't mean that new, new one. I mean, like, that old, classic, like, amazing one, okay? Now, that's Veruca And if you guys remember, she was spoiled. She was selfish. She just had to have that thing that no one else could give to her. And in your mind, you're probably thinking two things. Girl, don't be touching that. <laughs> Willy Wonka knows what's up. If you touch that, you're a goner. But some of you are like, no, I want you to touch that. I don't like you. You're annoying. I want you to touch that, right? Boom, she's out. And so you, you can see it happening, but yet that person doesn't see it. And maybe not in a movie theater, but maybe just in real life, you see one of your friends, maybe even a family member, they're going down just a not so good road. It's like, come on. Isn't it obvious? You know that friend who is dating somebody where you're like, Zero out of ten. It's not even like one out of four. It's like zero out of ten, right? It's just bad. It's like, but they come home every day and say, oh, I, they're, the, they're the one. I've been praying about them. And they're, they're so bad at all these things. But I'm in love. We have a song. It's like, dude, I, I know where this is going. But yet they just don't, they can't see it, right, where it's happening. And I think if we're honest, that's probably happened to us as well. We're walking through life. We have things that are happening to us. But it's like, how come I'm stuck How come I'm always angry? How come, gosh, I just just can't get over my impatience? How come I just can't serve my family well? We can just get so stuck, and what starts to happen is that even though it's not the right narrative, we choose our own narrative for our own story. And so how many of you know that the perspective that we choose will actually alter the story that we're living in? And so it's so important that we actually know what the real narrative is. Because if we don't have the right perspective on the narrative, we're going to live a life that God just doesn't want us to. And if you're a first-time guest, just anybody, I want you to know that living with Jesus is so much more than rules. Anyone happy that God didn't die just so that you could keep rules? Hey, keep the rules, but be in love with Jesus. Jesus died so a relationship would be restored, and I'm so grateful that, I, that, that we're going to talk about that tonight. And so one of the most important things that we need to understand, not just understand once, but understand our whole lives, is the gospel narrative story. How do you know that often when there's something wrong with our lives is that we've misunderstood the story? We have the wrong placement. We have the wrong idea of how the story should go. And a lot of times, when we look at the gospel narrative, instead of making it about Jesus, we actually make it about ourselves. Here's one example how we do that. Some of us, when we think of ourselves in the gospel narrative, is that we think of ourselves as too bad. Now, may, I mean, most of us probably don't wake up. Hopefully you don't. But you don't wake up in the morning and be like, I'm just so bad. I don't think any of us do that. But a lot of times, we can look at ourselves, our walk with Jesus, and be like, gosh, I'm just, I never measure up. I never read my Bible. I never pray enough. Man, like, I go to church. I cry during worship, but then I cuss out my spouse the next day. It's like, Ugh! <laughs> like, who am I? It's like, I just don't feel good enough. And so you're going to church. You think you have a relationship with Jesus. But truth be told, the backstory is you're just, there, there, there's a stiff arm towards Jesus. But on the flip side, right, we go from too bad to thinking, man, we're just too good. Now, I really hope you're not waking up every morning and be like, man, I'm just too awesome. I mean, have some self esteem, but gosh, if you're all by yourself alone saying that to yourself 10 times a day, that's probably a problem. But that's another sermon. But too good meaning, man, I just don't really see a need for anybody but myself. I'm I'm self-sufficient, and and, and a lot of and, and you can kind of sense this because it's like when someone asks you, hey, what's going on in your life? Oh, I'm I'm good. What do you need prayer for? Uh, oh, nothing. Okay. Um, can I help you out in any in, in area? No, nah, I'm I'm okay. It's like there's so much of a perfection to your life that it's empty. Because we know, and you don't even have to be a Christian to understand this, is that gosh we've all fallen short to the standard that's in place in our hearts. And so too bad, it's like it's a false humility. Too good is a pride. But again, it all relates to ourselves. I'm too good, I'm too bad. And it misses the most important person in all of our lives, in all of history, in all of heaven and earth, Jesus. And so what I wanna do on this grateful, amazing, sacred Good Friday is to look at what, ha- what Jesus did for all of us, but not through our eyes, but through his eyes. And also the people that were around in that event. Can we do that tonight? So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26. And the first person that I want to look at is I want to look at the Pharisees. And if you know who the Pharisees are, they, are, they were the religious leaders of the day when Jesus was walking this earth. And they were astute. They were students. They were flawless. Well, they thought they were flawless when it came to obeying God. But there was so much of a superiority that didn't come from loving Jesus, but it came from loving how people saw them. And Jesus actually describes them in Matthew 6 as people who, Prayed really long prayers to be heard. Prayed really big words so they could be noticed that really their lives with God wasn't about him. But it was honestly, it was all about themselves. So we're at this point of the gospel story where Jesus, it's his last night on this earth. And he's before the council. And this is the Pharisees trying to attack him. So it says this. The high, uh, the high great uh, priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I, tell, but I say to all of you, From now on, you will see the Son of God sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Continue. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, you have heard this blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit on his face. They struck him with their fist. Others slapped him and said, Prophesied us, Messiah, who hit you? So we start in this gospel, and I just the irony in this, where it's like, who do you say, like, the the, the Son of God? He's worthy of death. The people that are worthy of all death are looking at the creator of life saying, you're worthy of death. And what's so perplexing about that is that, you know, what's behind the Pharisees' actions is that what they were trying to do, if you want to take notes, uh, you can write this down, is that the Pharisees wanted to control Jesus. And what I mean by that is, it's, it's a lot like religion, that when we try to put God into a box, where it's like, Jesus, I'm going to do one, I'm going to do two, and I'm going to do three. And if I do one, two, and three, then you're going to do this. But the, for the Pharisees, for the first time in their lives, they met the one who, was, who really was perfect. They met the one who really was holy, and they met the one that they, they, they couldn't put into a box. And so when Jesus said, no, I'm not going to be in your box. I'm going to break that box. And I want you to follow me. They didn't know how to deal with that. And isn't that what religion is, that we try to put God in a box, and when he doesn't fit our one, two, three method, we try to control our lives. We try to control him. We try to control the people around us. And God's like, no, I have so much more than that. And one of the ways that you know that you're, you're trying to control and, you, and, and your life has become religious is when it's become exhausting. Because God's never called us to live a religious life. He's called us to live a relational life with him. And by religion, I mean, gosh, this isn't about uh, checking out boxes. It's about walking with him heart to heart. His will becomes our will. It's crazy. One of the most religious times of my life is when I went to Bible college. Can you believe that? <laughs> I, went, I went to Bible college, man. I was like, I was ready to go. Um, I was pumped up, but I came and I was just so dead inside. When I thought about reading the Bible, okay, I'm going to read my Bible, what I'm going to preach. When I thought about praying, I'm only going to pray when, um, you know, I, I needed something or someone needed something for me. So one of my driest times of my faith was actually when I was in Bible college. And I remember there was this one moment where I was in my dorm and I had like this assignment I had to do and honestly, I was killing it. It, it, was, it was such an awesome paper. I thought, I thought it was awesome. Um, don't worry, we're, we're gonna talk about pride in a little bit. Um, <laughs> I was killing it and I remember I was in my dorm, I finished my paper, it was just awesome. I remember this, the Lord spoke to me Hey Chris, why are you so content with getting Bible college done, but you're not allowing me to get your heart done? I'm like, what? Well, I had the perfect night, the perfect paper. I mean, it was just done, and the Lord just shattered it. But honestly, it was one of the one of the most pivotal moments for me in Bible college because my heart became so calloused, not because I was. I wasn't going out doing all these sinful and horrible things, but my heart was shut off from Jesus because I was content with doing works for Him. But I wasn't—I wasn't excited. I wasn't allowing—I wasn't allowing my heart to walk with Him. And that's the dangers of religion: is it has you be content with actions but not allowing the Lord to transform your heart. That's why the the, the Pharisees were so. Ugh. You're not taking my behavior. You're not not taking my actions. You want to touch this? No way. Crucify. And we're not going to crucify Jesus with, obviously, he has been crucified, but we can crucify him in such a way where we don't want his grace because we just want to live off our own works. And so the Pharisees, they control Jesus, which is out of a religious spirit, and in their eyes, they think they're winning. I'm winning. He's getting spit. He's being mocked. He really is going to die. And that really is a picture of religion. Religion brings death. But How many of you are grateful that Jesus brings life? So that's the Pharisees. Now let's move on to the Roman soldiers, okay? So the governors, then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the, whoo, pra, <laughs> batarium, yeah, yeah, that, that word. Hey, I'm not going to pretend like I know that word, okay? Especially on Good Friday. And gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet, that's why I didn't finish Bible college, put a scarlet robe on him. Then they twisted together a crown of thorns and they set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. They knelt down in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. Oh, oh, keep going, I'm sorry, and they spit on him, they took the staff, they struck him on the head again and again, and after they had mocked him, they took off the robe, and they put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. So you can see with the Roman soldiers that their intention really wasn't to kill him in the first sense, but really just to mock him, to make fun of him. But man, You think you're the king of the Jews? Okay, let's see how good you really are. But really underneath all of that is pride. Because the Romans didn't care whether he lived or whether he died. If anything, if we can kill the person that is hailed as the king of the Jews, that brings popularity, that brings momentum to us, that's great. But really underneath all that, there was so much pride. I'm going I'm to live the way we want. I'm going to do what we want. And when we look at Jesus and when we live our own lives with pride, how many of you know that that can lead to death as well? Pride is one of those things where it's like we, we, we think of pride as I'm so much better than everybody else. Pride really in its purest sense is I'm going to live apart from Jesus. Because when we live apart from Jesus, we just think, gosh, it's so much better. I I can do it my own way. No, it doesn't. It leads to death. And so the Romans are in the same way with the the Pharisees where, gosh, like, they think they're winning. We're going to kill him. We're going to murder him. We're going to crucify him. And we're winning. I want us to look in, in, in the eyes of Judas as well. Now, Oh, um, I didn't put the right verse there, but I'll tell you what happened. So there was a significant time in the ministry of Jesus where a woman had taken a very expensive jar of perfume. She broke it and she poured it on the feet of Jesus. She's crying. She's worshiping. And Judas, who's in charge of the money, says, what are you doing? That perfume costs a whole year's money. You're putting it on his feet? Like, come on! What are you thinking? Jesus rebukes Judas and says, "Whoa, slow your roll. Back up a second. This woman is pouring out her heart. You're gonna have the pour forever. She sees in this moment. Essentially, what Jesus is saying is, bro, your heart—it's not pure. The reason why you're so upset that the perfume was broken—not because of me, but because you're greedy." Because you knew what you wanted to do with that money, but yet it was twisted. And if we're not careful, we can be like Judas, where well, we're actually going to use Jesus for our own benefit. And, and I think we've all, God, it's, it's so hard to say this, but I know we've all done it before, and we know this. When we're doing all the right things, we're following Jesus, but when our plan, our agenda doesn't happen, we freak out. God, how come come you let this happen? I've been tithing. How come I'm broke, right? I've been reading my Bible. Why did did this happen to me? It's like, ugh. But Judas, his intentions weren't pure. His intentions were to use Jesus for his own benefit. And again, it leads all to himself. And then on the flip side, the last person I want to look at is the disciples. They pity Jesus, and here, here's what I mean by that: You have someone who is gusto, who is passionate, like Peter. Peter says to Jesus, "Jesus, we're not gonna leave you. We're gonna stay until like, we'll, we'll die with you." And you guys know what happened when they took Jesus away. They scattered out of fear. Every one of them went. They ran. They got out of there. They they fled. And then, as Jesus is being crucified. You could almost see and feel in the story where there was just pity. Whereas, like, our dreams are dead. We were supposed to take over Rome. You were supposed to save us. You were supposed to do all these things. But now it's like, you're on the cross. We're so sorry. You didn't have to do this. Like, and again, but it's not pity out of repentance. It's pity out of, it didn't work, guys. It, did, it didn't happen. So the Pharisees out there were winning the romans thought they were winning judas i mean you can kind of say kind of both where he thought he was winning but he found out i didn't win he took his own life and then the disciples were like we lost guys it's over he's on, he's he's going to die that's it and this is so this is so vital for us to understand the gospel story because when you look at Hollywood and you look at just, like, our lives, we all want to have a good story. And I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful that there is an Easter Sunday. I'm so grateful that there's, that there's a Resurrection Sunday. But there was a Friday. There was a death. There was a waiting period. There was an unknown in our eyes. And that just brings so much comfort to me because no matter what you might be facing tonight, there's going to be a Sunday. There is going to be a resurrection. But 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 we have to see it not through our eyes but through the eyes of Jesus. And so what I want to do is I want us to look at the cross in two ways. The brutality of the cross, but also the beauty of the cross, okay? The brutality of the cross and and the beauty of the cross and to prepare us for, for for the brutality of the cross, I want to set a picture of crucifixion. See, the Romans in those days they were experts in torture. They just knew how to just they if, if <laughs> they wouldn't just kill you, they would kill you in a multiplicity of ways. And so, crucifixion wasn't this unique, special thing. You just you just got crucified back in that day. And so, when we think about the crucifixion of Jesus, it's like. He was crucified. He was, he, he was beautifully beat. He was slapped. He was all those things. And again, we will never take away from the physical brutality of the cross. Because it was insane. It was horrible. I mean, even just watching the passion of the Christ. It's like, Lord, you did that for me? Oh, my gosh. Like, like we're, we're never going to get tired of that. But I want to submit to you that the the, the physical brutality of the cross wasn't the worst part of the cross. That Jesus' biggest pain wasn't just the physical brutality of what he experienced on the cross. And we see that in um, this next verse, in Matthew uh, chapter 27. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, we've got to understand that there, from all of eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there was perfect relationship. Perfect community. And it's like, even in that, we can't even... Fully, even uh, comprehend that. Because even our best relationship that we have, that's still broken right now and somewhat because of sin. But there was perfect union, perfect community amongst the Trinity. And so not only is Jesus physically being tortured, beat for nothing, for, for being innocent, for the first time in all of eternity, he is experiencing separation from his Father. What he was feeling was that the physical brutality of the cross did not compare to the spiritual separation. The spiritual brutality that Jesus had to endure. And really, that was a mirror and a picture of what we experienced ourselves. Where there was a separation. Sin has separated from the Father. But Jesus said, I'm going to step in your place and I'm going to take what you couldn't take and I'm going to endure what you couldn't endure, and I'm going to take the spot which you deserve, and I'm going to put myself there. The physical brutality was horrible. But what was astronomically, what was unfathomable, it was something that we couldn't even understand, and it was something that none of us could endure, which was the spiritual separation. That when Jesus was praying the night of, for for the world, before he was gonna before he was gonna go to the cross, he was taking on the sins of, of of every single person. That was what was weighing him down, not just the physical brutality, but the spiritual brutality of what he endured on the cross for you and for me. And Andy Stanley said it really well, is that none of us need to repent for being a horrible mistaker. None of us have to repent of being someone who just messed up. There's a reason why the Bible uses the word sinner and not mistaker. Mistaker has the intention of whether that was an accident, but sin has the intention that it was intentional and that a relationship was violated. And that just brings on so much more of a weight. And and, and here's how you're understanding the gospel and what Jesus did for you on that Good Friday day is that when we stop looking at ourselves and compare ourselves to the sins of other people, but we start looking inward and taking inventory of ourselves. Does that make sense? Where it's like, man, I'm going to stop comparing myself to this person and this person's, oh, uh, I didn't read my Bible at all, but they haven't read their Bible in like a decade, you know? It's like, no. It's like, I'm not worried about you. I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about me because compared to Jesus, I'm not just a mistaker, but I'm lost. I'm broken. I'm in need of a Savior. And we say this a lot here because it is the truth is that the gospel is the filter and foundation for everything that we do and who we are. And the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z. You just go deeper and deeper and deeper, and you never get away from the greatest reality that you will ever know and experience, the gospel. And so there was a a brutality that he experienced that none of us could understand or even endure. But there was also a beauty to the gospel, a beauty. It's like, man, why are we celebrating Good Friday? Because there was a brutality, but there was also... A beauty, and we see this in Romans uh, chapter five, verse eight. You see, at just the right time, when while, while we were still powerless sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. It's like, yeah, you'll you'll die for your spouse, but dying for that person that you're in line with at uh, a Starbucks, uh, I don't know. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. It's this, it's this amazing truth that you never pursued God first, but He pursued you. Is that whenever you try to outserve God, God just gets a little bit lower. Oh God, I'm going to go after for you this week. I'm going to get you. I'm, I'm going to follow you. Okay, that's cool. I'm just a little bit lower, though. I'm going to keep serving you. I'm going to keep pursuing you. And that's why religion never works. Religion says, I'm going to keep going. When I find God, he's going to love me. God's like, no, dude, that's religion. Relationship's saying, if you open up your eyes, I'm already there. I'm knocking at the door. If you let me into your heart, I'm right there. The first thing we see in the beauty of the cross is that he is pursuing us. We also see the passion of our Savior. In Hebrews chapter 12, what we're told Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He didn't just do it out of pursuit, but he did it with passion. Like, I'm doing this out of joy. I, I just, I can't, I can't even fathom this. Again, I'm not trying to speak, I'm not trying to add to the Bible, but I'm, just, I'm thinking about the scripture tells us that for the joy set before him, where he's carrying his cross barely with someone else helping him. He, he's been whooped, he's been mocked. His pain is, is an excruciating pain, but inside his heart, he's like, For the choice set before me, for the choice set before me. I'm doing it for my Father, but I'm also doing it for every single person. And he, he knows that not every person is gonna receive him, but he's still doing it. There's such a passion of our Savior but there's also a, a, per, there, there's a, there's a pursuit, there's a passion, but there's also a perseverance. Where the, 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 the nails in his hand didn't keep him on the cross. The love that he has for his creation, that's what kept him on the cross. He persevered, not out of his own strength, but out of the strength that his father gave him through the Holy Spirit. And so I love how Pastor Tim Keller puts the gospel. is that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare to believe. There's, there's the brutality. yet at the same time, we are more loved, accepted in Jesus than we ever dare to hope. There's the beauty. Oh, it's so brutal. Because he shouldn't have been under there. I'm not pitying Jesus. I'm pitying myself. I should be up there. I'm broken. I'm sinful. I don't deserve the grace of God. But yet there's such a beauty now. Because if there's ever any doubt in my head and my heart that I am not loved, that doubt is removed. In fact, that doubt was crucified. Because Jesus showed how much he loves, he cares. And that my standing with him according to the resurrection is set. Because of what he did for me on the cross. And so... I just want to give us an invitation tonight. That if you're new to faith, if you're new to Jesus, if you're just new, a lot of times you know we've got our culture. Tell me what to do. What's what's my next step? I just want you just to hear the gospel story, and it's. I remember like when Peter in the in the gospel says, "You hear this message; it cuts the heart. What shall I do? Repent." Change your mind. Jesus is at the door waiting for you. And maybe if you're a believer, you're like, gosh, I know this story. And it's like, it's so good. But ask yourself this question. Am I living in the reality of what Christ did for me? Or am I living in what I can do for God? One's going to lead to exhaustion. One's going to lead to pride. One's going to lead um, to using God. But there's a relationship part that leads to life, that leads to peace, that leads to joy, and that comes from understanding the brutality, but also the beauty of Jesus.